I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, welcome to Jules Says. I'm Jules, Julie. If you have anything you'd like to share with me or the Jewel Says listeners, email me at jewelsays at gmail.com. J-E-W-E-L-S says at gmail.com. Speaking of emails, I did get a very interesting email this week, and I'm going to start with that because it just made me laugh so hard. It's quite ridiculous. I'm changing the name to Joe, even though I'm convinced this has to be fake. Jules. Joe here. I've been listening to your podcast over and over again. I've won my wife back. Blam! Well, that blam sounds familiar. I thought I would be happy, but I'm not. I'm in love with another woman. Oh, no. A beautiful woman. Her name? Jules. Blam! (laughs) I cannot hide it anymore, Jules. I love you so much. Please. Please kick Abe to the curb and come get your soulmate, Joe. I'm yelling because it's all caps. I will fight Abe if need be. Yes, he is a true babe, but I love you more. Double blam. Please accept my love, Jules. You are my shining diamond, Jules. Your future husband, Joe. Okay, there's so much about this that is fake. And even though I'm against diabolical scams. I kind of love this scam. I think it's great because it makes me laugh. But Joe, just in case you are real, I want to tell you first and foremost that I do not condone fighting and I would never choose one man over the other because one of them won a fight. So let's get that straight. Anyway, I'm glad you have your wife back. Stop listening to the podcast and just pay attention to your wife. Everyone else except Joe, please listen to the podcast. Yes, share. Share with your friends, family, whoever. Moving on. I had a big shock. Our mortgage payment came out on Monday. And the nice thing is a lot of the banks just email you if you're overdrawn or if your balance is low. And I appreciate that. But I knew I had enough money in there. And then I get this email from the bank saying I'm overdrawn. I'm like, what? What? 
So I go and I check. The mortgage payment is almost $1,000 more than it's supposed to be. Abe and I renewed at a fixed rate for two years, so I knew exactly what the payment was supposed to be. The renewal didn't go through. So the interest rate on this payment was 9.5%. Now, this would have seemed really good in 1984, but nowadays, not good. Ugh. I don't know who messed up. I don't know if it was my local guy or what happened. We signed that renewal mid-February. There's no reason it shouldn't have gone through and been processed. This mortgage is with National Bank. I don't know. Is it considered one of the big five? It's pretty big in Canada, but their website is garbage. I log on to look at what's going on. I could see the mortgage. I could see the payment. And I could see the nine and a half interest rate. But that's all. I used to actually get statements in the mail every month when I had a variable rate telling me the breakdown of interest and principal, which I appreciated that because it's on the rental property and so for bookkeeping purposes, it's handy. So they stopped sending the paper, which I also appreciate. I don't want paper. And that's when I signed up for the site and I thought, this is great. I'll just get it online. I can't get it online. I can't get any of the activity online. All I can get is a screen with my mortgage balance, the interest rate, and the payment amount, and the next payment date. That's it. This is why people are tempted to switch to the financial startups. And we saw what happened in the U.S. with some of those. The banks need to stop underestimating how important user experience is. I've had a few other bad experiences in the past with online-only banking, but even though I do believe your money is likely safe with the big five Canadian banks, although they can't get their processes straight. I've yet to deal with one that keeps current on self-serve functionality. And I've been on the implementation side of transitioning from old technology. I know it's exorbitantly expensive, but come on, you're a bank. You're making a fortune. Invest in the future. You're worried about the startups. You need to improve the user experience. You couple that with safety and you're going to win. Anyway, something great happened next door today with the Woo Girl. I was working away in my office, in my little home office, when I heard squeals of delight. Then, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, uh, adorable. <sighs> Speaking of adorable. I had a visit with Violet and little Fenna Grace this weekend, also Catherine and Bobby. They were here for a much too short two days to celebrate Bobby's birthday. A two-day visit, though, is actually really nice, but it's such a long way to go for them. They didn't even have time to adjust to the time change. Maybe that turned out to be a good thing when they went home. But I'll tell you that little Fenna Grace is Grace personified. She smiled and calmly accepted being passed around and cuddled and loved up and kissed with so much patience. What a gem. She's such a jewel. I'm so looking forward to getting to know her as she grows and her personality unfolds. And she doesn't hate her grandmother. I wonder if she'll grow up to be a woo girl. Violet isn't. Hopefully not. I mean, I guess there's nothing wrong with that. I just find it a bit annoying. Now, Violet, of course, does not know life without personal technology. And we got talking about whether I think it's a good idea for teens to have a phone. 
How did I know where mom and the girls were without phones? Did I worry because they wouldn't be able to call if they needed something? Of course, I didn't know with certainty where they were. I'm not sure whether I would have tracked them even if I had had the technology, though I can see why it's tempting. But wouldn't you feel stalked if you knew you were being tracked? Maybe because the technology is so ubiquitous, the young people don't feel that way. I don't know. I feel like I would, but it could be because this isn't something I grew up with. And I get the safety benefits. I would have loved to have been certain where they were if I needed to know, and even just be certain that they could make a call if they needed to. But we had to rely on payphones or businesses, and also way back in the olden days, a.k.a. the 80s and 90s, every residence had a landline. I remember one of my cousins who lives in the U.S. saying that they no longer had a landline, they just had a cell phone, and I couldn't believe it. But of course, the cost of the Canadian cell service is astronomical compared to any other country, or at least most other countries. But back then, it would have been unheard of not to have a landline. So there was usually a way to get in touch if you needed to. But I had other methods, which were not perfect. If they were going to a party, I called or I went to the house to speak to the parents. I wanted to make sure there would be adults there. Same with sleepovers. I just didn't feel comfortable or allow sleepovers without at least meeting the parents in person. Even meeting them really isn't good enough. If I had to do it again, I just wouldn't do the sleepover thing at all. Just too much can go wrong. And so I still worried. And a lot of parents back then, maybe they do it now too, they used to just let the children booze it up underage, which I would never have done. I didn't want that liability. What if they got in a car after and were killed in an accident? What if they had alcohol poisoning? Or what if they were sexually assaulted? Which is a lot more likely when there's a lot of booze involved. Obviously, I knew I couldn't necessarily stop them from drinking underage, but I thought I should at least be clear on the safety risks, why I preferred they didn't, and I didn't want to make it ridiculously easy for them by just getting it for them myself. And believe it or not, I had enough drunk teenagers at my house even though I didn't allow it. Those sneaky little devils. I used to say to Carrie, I don't do this to spoil your fun. I do it... Because I don't want you pregnant, raped, dead in a ditch, or in a car accident. So yeah, I worried plenty. Of course, when you're young, you think none of these things will happen to you. So they didn't appreciate me following up all the time. But Carrie since then has said, oh, if I had my own teenager, I'd be a lot stricter than you were. And I'm like, yeah, thank you. You would also have the technology to keep track of your teens. I sometimes think about what I would have done if they did have cell phones and I could have tracked them. They probably would have said they were going to someone's house, who I felt comfortable with, leave the phone at the house, and then take off to somewhere they weren't supposed to be. They could always carry the cell phone of one of the friends whose parents didn't track them. You know, where there's a will, there's a way. So when we were talking about the cell phone thing, Catherine asked me how Carrie called me when she got in her car accident, and I honestly could not remember. So I asked her. A truck driver pulled over and let her call on his cell phone. See, you had to rely on the person pulling over to be a decent human being. Of course, most people are, but I worry about the exceptions. Because once they started driving, I always thought about Linda Shaw, a 21-year-old engineering student 
who stopped at a service station near Ingersoll, Ontario, not far from us, on her way to Western University in London, Ontario, which we stop at that rest stop all the time. And her mutilated, partially burned body was found six days later. That really haunted me when mine were teens because, number one, it was so close to home. It was so insanely violent. And not only that, they hadn't solved the crime. So I knew that guy was out there. And I did want them to have a phone for emergencies. I didn't want them to have to rely on someone pulling over and getting help. Eventually, they did have phones, but that's pretty much all they were back then. Portable phones. And the cost of using them was really quite prohibitive. So they had pay-as-you-go plans. So at least if they were in a car accident, they could make a phone call without relying on a stranger. So I said to Violet, it is a good idea for teens to have a phone. But what we have today is not what you really should be calling a phone. And I know it must be very difficult for Violet to conceptualize a cell phone that can only make calls and text. We didn't even use text that often back then. But now, of course, teens carry around a powerful computer, a high-res camera connected to the world. Pretty amazing when you think about it. And pretty dangerous. It's a tracking device with the tools to record and publish all of the silly opinions and mistakes you make. A portal into never-ending, destructive, malicious, cruel content. Information truly is power, and we have way too much information at our disposal. And as with everything, of course, balance is key. On the one hand, I honestly have no desire to see graphically violent video footage. I do not want to see it. However, I am glad people can't get away with lying about it anymore. Back in the day, it was a victim's word against the perpetrator, and very often the perpetrator was a person in power or, yeah, a person in power. Police in those situations are in power. So who are you going to believe? Some dumb woman? Some young black guy? Or the cop? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. But the thing is, we all make mistakes, and particularly when we're young. And it's dangerous to have a record of all those mistakes. I think it's not good for your psychological well-being, especially the mistakes that are just stupid. I admitted to Violet that I'm certainly not proud of some of the things I believed, said, or did when I was young, which maybe I shouldn't have, because, of course, her next question was, like what? 
Oh, God, well, I don't want to lie, but it's also hard to talk about things you're ashamed of to your 13-year-old granddaughter. I, I mean, I told her I'm glad there's no record of my shameful, ignorant, younger behavior. And now here I am telling her? I'm essentially creating a record of it, at least in her mind. And it's not that I'm worried about being cancelled. Cancelled from what? But I do care about what my grandchildren think of me. <sighs> well, what to say, what to say. She knows I'm human, and I want her to know that there's no shame in making mistakes. We all make mistakes. The important thing is how you handle the mistakes. We have to forgive ourselves and we have to forgive others, at least for their nonviolent, non-malicious mistakes. Not only that, I genuinely think children appreciate honesty. They feel respected when you trust them with your honesty. Someday they're going to find out you're lying if you try to tell them you're perfect. And you're teaching them that it's okay to admit to your mistakes. Setting an example. I can't begin to imagine how difficult it is for young people these days, and even not so young people. It seems as though as soon as someone is well-known, a celeb, or an aspiring politician, people dig deep, oh, so deeply into their past. There are people who actively search for something to just throw in your face. What did they say 20 years ago that would be considered horrible today? Mwahaha. But we all said and thought horrible things. We're human. Social norms have changed. Society has evolved. We all evolve. Change is inevitable and hopefully for the better long term. Improvement isn't linear. Anyone who digs for information with the purpose of public humiliation is a dick. Now, I love dick as much as the next gal, but I don't mean that in the complimentary sense. And we've all had moments of dickishness. Yeah, sometimes I'm still a dick. But at least now I'm a dick in different ways than I was when I was 13. And I really try not to be one. But I do take issue when people double down and insist that their misogynistic, racist actions and opinions are fine. Oh, it's fine. I'm right. I was totally misogynistic when I was young. But Julie, you might think, you were a woman. How could you have been misogynistic? Because I absorbed societal norms. I bought into the whole women are less worthy than men societal standard that I grew up with. I sincerely believed that what I wanted didn't matter. That my purpose in life was to serve the men in my life. I believed the double standards. I believed the slut-shaming culture. I didn't see anything wrong with it. I held myself back. I put up with bad behavior, kept my mouth shut to keep my boyfriends happy. I'm all for making your partner happy, but not when it's a one-way street. I spent way too much energy trying to be liked by boys in general. And I'll tell you, this might still be true today. I didn't talk about this to Violet, but it was very difficult not to be labeled a slut and still want men to think you're hot. It's a fine line. You were labeled a slut, a cock tease, or a bitch. In retrospect, I kind of wish that I had just dashed around and had a lot of fun and not worried about what men thought or about the slut label. I really wish that I hadn't believed that losing my virginity meant that I had to marry that dickhead. I didn't end up marrying him, but I wasted three years with him before I found the courage to get out. 
That was stupid. I wish I hadn't been afraid to walk away from someone who treated me disrespectfully. I wish I hadn't put up with it. I I didn't complain. I just tried harder. Maybe if I were more pleasing in some way, he'd treat me better. Maybe if I treat him like a prince, he'll appreciate me. They never did, though. I used to cry alone when he didn't show up and go along with whatever he wanted when he did. It didn't even occur to me that I deserved better. It took me well into my 30s to learn that I do deserve better. And you deserve better, too, and I hope you realize it by the time you're 13. So I'm kind—I'm actually ashamed that I was complicit in the misogynistic social norm, even to my own detriment. One of the other things I'm definitely not proud of that, oh God, here I am putting it on record. After I said I was glad it was never on record, I did have a handful of non-white acquaintances through school. Now, in my defense, I grew up surrounded by probably more than 99% white people. I had a Chinese cousin. I have one cousin who's mixed race, Japanese, and black. I read books, you know, the classics that depicted the Holocaust, slavery, racial segregation. And even as a child, I felt a visceral grief that human beings suffered so much. And I know some people don't want their children to feel grief, but I think it teaches empathy, and I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. But as a child, I believed all of those things were in the past, and I knew racism was wrong, but I had no clue about the persistent systemic obstacles people of color faced and still face. I had no idea that immigration rules were different depending on the country people came from and how obviously racist those laws were and still are. I had no idea about migrant farm workers. Didn't know it existed. And it didn't occur to me to ask, why would I? And although I thought men were superior to women, I never thought whites were superior. But as I said to Violet... I also knew absolutely nothing about Canadian Indigenous culture or history. Zero. How could I have been born and raised in this country knowing so little? We really weren't taught much about Indigenous history in school, just that the English and French came here, colonized Canada, fought between themselves, and that was about all we were taught. And I just accepted that as the truth. And I also figured something I'm not proud of now. I just thought since the world has always had wars, takeovers, colonization for hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of years or millennia, it was just an unfortunate fact of life that the winners take over and the losers just need to adapt. Now, as a grown woman, I understand how messed up that is. Indigenous culture could have taught the colonizers a thing or two. For example, the European crime and punishment system really doesn't work very well, does it? The European culture and legal systems are designed to be punitive rather than rehabilitative. Indigenous communities operated differently, apparently. I'm certainly no expert, so I hope I'm not completely wrong here. As I understand it, when one party in the community transgressed against another, the chiefs brought them together to discuss atonement, reconciliation, Rather than just punishing the person, everyone's perspective and the impact on them was shared. And then sometimes the perpetrator felt really badly about whatever they did, 
and sincerely wanted to make amends and made an effort to make amends. And sometimes the victim felt healed by the atonement and the understanding of the perpetrator's motivation. Why do people wrong others? Are they just doing it for shits and giggles? Maybe sometimes they don't fully appreciate the impact. Maybe they genuinely don't care. Or maybe they're desperate. Of course, we all need our communities to survive. And even in Indigenous cultures, if someone became too dangerous or problematic, they risked being banished from the community. So it was in their best interest to cooperate and moderate their behavior to avoid that. And I'm not saying this system was perfect or is perfect, but I think there are cases where discussion, atonement, reconciliation would work better than what we do now. Maybe mediation is supposed to be a form of that. I listened to a recent episode of Hidden Brain about a bicycle theft that beautifully illustrates the value of atonement. I'm just looking up the episode. It's really, really good. Of course, I love every episode of Hidden Brain. Uh, Oh, yes. How to Make Amends. It's a really good episode. I'll put the link to it on the website. But I think even when it comes to sexual harassment or assault, obviously not the horrific, violent sexual assault from a stranger, but a lot of the day-to-day assault that we all went through or go through, very often all we want is for the impact of the assaulter's behavior to be acknowledged, and then we want change. The court system has a terrible track record of dealing with these issues, and the system is designed to motivate an accused to deny, 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 then rip the victim to shreds so they don't lose. It's kind of a win-lose system, but there are no winners when these kinds of things happen. And people don't report because they won't be believed and they know they're going to be re-traumatized even if the charge is laid. But you'll ruin his life. Really? What about my life? So who is the system actually serving? All most of us want is an acknowledgement of the impact and for the offending behavior to stop. But the system is designed to motivate offenders to double down and deny, if they get charged at all. But what else do we have other than the flawed, blunt instrument of the courts? Linda Shaw's 1990 murder wasn't solved until 2005 with DNA technology. The main guy, they think there was a second one, but of course I've never seen anything in the news about him being caught, but the main guy had been out on parole after two other murders and he shot himself in 1994 because he was facing more jail time for property crimes. Property crimes. This guy had a history. I don't know... I I mean, I still think we need to do better as a society at intervening in childhood so that we prevent this kind of thing, but I'm no expert. Who knows how he ended up being the person he was. Really, my point is, we could learn a few things from Indigenous culture, but as a young teen... I didn't even know about the indigenous residential school system, the efforts of forced assimilation, the abuse, the genocide, really. None of it. I just assumed that the losers should integrate with the winners, and that's how the world works. I had all kinds of opinions about all kinds of things that I knew nothing about. 
And one of the good things about the internet and all the social media is we do have an opportunity to get so much more information. But again, double-edged sword. Maybe one of the reasons the world keeps warring is because the power-hungry get away with it and most of us just fall in line. We don't think to rock the boat or we don't have the courage to rock the boat. I wouldn't have the courage to rock the boat. I'll talk about things and that's about it. So yeah, I am not proud of my youthful ignorance, but I do think it's important to acknowledge it, to forgive yourself, and to forgive other people for their ignorance. I didn't actually go around hurting people. I was always very empathetic, and I was always willing to listen and change. But social media makes it so challenging because everything, good, bad, and in between, is amplified exponentially. We're constantly inundated with so much information, so much of it filtered, edited, curated. Technology is a beautiful thing. It gave us the tools to both expose the truth and obscure it. Social media takes so much time from young people, time that we had when we were young, available for socializing, reading, playing, working. We had to eat our food at home. We couldn't order food. The only thing you could order back in the day was pizza and Chinese food. And even when you could order those things was very restricted. Plus, we never had any money. I had a job, but I was always trying to save. We were kind of insulated, closed off from the rest of the world, other than the six o'clock news in the newspaper. But that probably made us more connected with our smaller community of school, work, and friends. And we hardly ever had a camera with us. And if we did, we had to take the film into the shop and pay for it to be developed. Again, kind of expensive. And most of the pictures were duds. We'd never even heard of a selfie. We certainly wouldn't have taken nude pictures because the guy in the shop would have seen them when he was developing them. We had no filters. And no one outside our own communities even knew we existed. They never knew about our mistakes. And there's a certain amount of safety in that. We didn't spend time filming everything we did, everything we ate. We danced like no one was watching because no one was actually watching. Nothing was recorded. I think there's a certain freedom in that that maybe young people are missing out on, although they don't know they're missing out on it because they don't know any different. And I mean, things certainly weren't perfect. Rumors went around about people, but they were replaced relatively quickly with new rumors. All of it, off the record. We were judged, we were slut-shamed, men were allowed to grab butts and boobs with no repercussions. But there was no record, no evidence. The world and society are always evolving, and of course, evolution is not linear. A few steps forward, one step back, and technology's always a double-edged sword. It solves problems, exposes problems, and sometimes it causes unforeseen problems. We just need to adapt with the changes, learn from our mistakes, atone for our mistakes, and give other people the grace that we want for ourselves. And just forgive and let go of those people who double down and refuse to learn. They're not worth it, and you don't need those kinds of people in your life. Thank you for listening. Jules Says is written, recorded, edited, and produced by me, Julie McCarthy. Music by Julie McCarthy. Have a fabulous week.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.